And a happy Easter. We're so glad you're able to be with us this morning as we celebrate Jesus raising from the dead. How awesome is that? It's great stuff. And uh, we're so excited you're with us. Like Steve said, if you're a guest with us this morning, if this is your first time at the Medina East Campus, a special welcome to you. We are very thankful that you're here with us, and we're glad you got a chance to check us out this morning. Thank you for enduring all of our construction and our parking lot to get here. I know it's kind of crazy out there, um, so thanks for coming and, uh, and joining us. Let me just, before we jump in today, let me just give you a couple quick snippets of history about us if you don't know us. So basically, uh, we are the Medina East Campus of Grace Church. Um, Grace Church is one church that's in three locations. So we have a Norton campus, um, we have a Bath campus, and this is the third and the newest campus, the Medina East Campus. So we've been around now for about a year and a half, somewhere in there. And, uh, and so we're relatively new to the area. We're a relatively new campus uh, here. So if you're a person that's maybe disconnected from the church or maybe uh, you're looking for a church, looking for a place to come, we hope you get a chance to check us out uh, today, of course, and in the weeks to come. And we're just grateful that you're able to be with us um, on Easter Sunday as we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. So obviously I'm excited today because it is Easter, which is awesome. Uh, but I, I'm also excited today because we're actually starting a new series. So today marks the beginning of a new series that we're starting called um, Jesus in His Own Words. And let me just tell you a little bit about this series and why I'm so excited about it. Um, basically, what we're hoping to do in this series is we're hoping to kind of conduct a little bit of an investigation. And, uh, and the reason that we want to conduct this, uh, this investigation is because there's a little bit of a problem. And, and this is the way that I like to put it. Um, we live in a culture today, in 21st century America, we live in a culture that, that I like to say is Jesus-saturated. Right? And that, that means that we live in a culture that's very familiar with the name of Jesus. Jesus shows up in all types of different places. He shows up in the media. He shows up in politics. Jesus is a controversial issue. It's something that's common to all of us. So we live kind of in a Jesus-saturated culture. And basically what I mean by that is that you'd be hard-pressed to find someone in our culture who has never heard of the name of Jesus, and you'd be hard-pressed to find someone in our culture that doesn't know what Easter is really all about. Right? We know that Easter is you got the bunny and you got the candy and you got the eggs and all that kind of stuff, which I got no problem with, right? especially the candy. I really like the candy. Um, but I think most people would, would know in our culture that, that really Easter is about Jesus raising from the dead. So we live in a Jesus-saturated culture, but I would also say this. I would say we also live in a Jesus-confused culture. And what I mean is that there are a lot of different presentations and a lot of different opinions about Jesus in our day, so much so that if a person is investigating Christ, if they're curious about who he really is, uh, that can be a very muddy topic because there's so many different opinions about Christ. I don't need to tell you all the different opinions. My guess is you probably can think of a bunch on your own. But let me give you a few of the major opinions of Jesus in our culture today. I'm going to do that by looking at some of the more influential voices in the past 50 years, just a few of them. So let's just start with John Lennon. So John Lennon, obviously very influential in his time. Uh, he conducted an interview in 1965. And in that interview, they asked him what he thought about Jesus. What was his opinion about Jesus? And here's what Lennon had to say. Lennon said, I believe in God, um, but not as one thing, not as an old man in the sky. I believe that what people call God is something inside of all of us. I believe that what Jesus and Muhammad and Buddha and all of the rest said was right. It's just that the translations have got it wrong. Right? What's Lenin saying here? Well, what Lenin is doing is actually vocalizing an opinion that many people in our culture, in fact, some of you might have, about Jesus. And that's essentially this, uh, that Jesus was a religious guru. He was a religious teacher um, on par with like a, a, a Muhammad or a Buddha or any other religious guru that's out there. And essentially, all religions are sort of created equal. They're all basically saying the same thing. Um, but religion has really set up barriers and, and has caused divisiveness in the midst of all of it. Lenin would say God is, a, is more of a force 
than anything and a force that's in us. And this is, this is a major opinion in our culture about Jesus. Many people think, yeah, Jesus is just, he's a, he's a teacher. He's a, he's a religious guru among other religious gurus. And essentially, he's saying the same thing that everyone else is saying um, who is a religious guru. So that's a, that's a major opinion. Uh, and more recently, there was an um, interview done with the Dalai Lama. And they asked the Dalai Lama, they said, what do you think about Jesus? And this is what the Dalai Lama said in a 2004 interview with a Christian magazine. He said, Jesus Christ also lived previous lives. So you see, he reached a high state as an enlightened person through Buddhist practice or something like that. And then at a certain period, a certain area, he appeared as a new master. And then because of circumstances, he taught certain views different from Buddhism. But he also taught the same religious values as I mentioned earlier. Be patient, tolerant, compassionate, this is, you see, the real message in order to become a better human being. Now, what's the Dalai Lama saying? Well, he's got some interesting views about the origins of Jesus, uh, but essentially the bottom line, you kind of see it in the last part of that quote, is he's basically saying, yeah, Jesus is a good teacher. He's a moral teacher. He teaches us things like compassion, things like tolerance, things that make us better people. And, and this is the opinion that many people hold in our culture, that Jesus was a good moral teacher who came to give us life lessons so that we can be better people and live our lives that way. And some of you might have that opinion about Jesus as well. More recent days, Kanye West, uh, he came out with his hit release, uh, Jesus Walks. And when he was asked about that, this is what he said in an interview about Jesus. He said, I'm just trying to say the way school need teachers the way Kathy Lee needed Regis, that's the way y'all need Jesus. So here go my single dog, radio need this. And I'll be honest, I really don't know what he's saying. So, <laughs> but I'm sure whatever he's saying, it's important because whatever Kanye has to say something, he's gonna say it whether you want him to or not. So Kanye is, and, and there's a lot of different opinions, right? I don't need to go into all of them, but my guess is that you can probably think of a few as well. And here's my point. Okay, we live in a, in a culture that's Jesus-saturated, but it's Jesus-confused. There's a lot of different opinions. There's a lot of different persuasions, a lot of different presentations of Jesus today. And, and for the person who's investigating Jesus, and my guess is that today that there are many of you who would fall into that category. If I asked you, what do you believe about Jesus, some of you today would say, honestly, I don't really know. Some of you might say, I don't, I'm not sure I buy into the whole thing, honestly. I'm here today because it's Easter, and that's what you do. You know, you go to church on Sunday, it's Easter. Maybe you came because your parents drug you to church. Maybe you came here because your spouse drug you to church, or I don't know who drug you to church. Maybe someone drug you here. And, and so you're here, but you're like, honestly, I'm not sure I, I totally buy into the whole Jesus thing. And, and you know what? I can't blame you for that because there's a lot of confusion around this topic. And it is hard to discern what is the truth about Jesus in the midst of a Jesus-confused culture. So, so that's what we're doing with this series. Okay? This series is aiming to be an investigation. And the investigation is basically this. We are not asking, what does the culture say about Jesus? That's not our aim. And we are not asking even, what does religion say about Jesus? That's not what we're asking. We're asking, what does Jesus say about Jesus? What does Jesus say in his own words about himself? And, and so each week what we're going to do is we're going to investigate a different claim that Jesus made about himself, and we're going to ask this question. So what does that say about Jesus then, the real Jesus, and what does that tell us about us? What does that mean for you and I that Jesus said that? So that's what we're going to be doing. All right. So without further ado, why don't we jump right in, and today what we're going to do is we're going to investigate the first claim uh, that we're going to look at for the next several weeks about Jesus in his own words. And, and I figured because it is Easter, right, because it is Resurrection Sunday, it would only be appropriate if we looked at something that had to do with the resurrection. And so we're going to do that. All right? So if you've got your Bibles, why don't you take them with me? We're going to go to John 11. That's where we're going to be going to today, John chapter 11. 
By the way, I, if you didn't bring a Bible with you today, um, that is totally fine. We actually brought some for you. And so there's some Bibles under the chairs, and I would strongly encourage you to grab one of those, maybe share with a neighbor, and get to page 748 in those Bibles that we've laid out there for you. That's where you're going to find John chapter 11 in those black Bibles. Or if you're an iPhone person or you have a smartphone or iPad person, if you want to get, download an app called YouVersion, Y-O-U-Version, it's a free Bible app, free, which is awesome. You can get a bunch of different translations of the Bible on there, and uh, I would encourage you to do that if you get a chance as well. And let me just say this before we jump into: if you're a person that does not own a Bible, like you just don't own one outright, or if you don't have a newer translation of the Bible, like if you have an old translation that has a bunch of these and thous and it's really hard for you to understand, would you do me a favor? Would you take one of our Bibles? Would you write your name in it and make it a gift from us to you? Take it home, okay? Happy Easter. What did you get me? And uh, so anyway, there it is for you. All right. John 11. Let's just go ahead and, and, and dig into this passage. Now, interestingly enough, and actually ironically enough, this passage is about resurrection, but it's actually not about the resurrection of Jesus. Strange. So some of you might know this story. Let's just go ahead and dig right into it. Verse 1. Uh, chapter 11, verse 1. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. All right, so let's just pause there for a minute. Let me tell you what's going on. So basically, in these three short verses, we are told that there's a family. Okay, and that family is comprised of, two, of three siblings, two sisters and a brother, Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus. Now, one of the things that this passage indicates that if you've read the Gospel of John, you might already know, is that Jesus had a very, very tight relationship with this family. Jesus loved these guys. And, and they were a major part of his ministry. Um, they would have been familiar with Jesus. Jesus would have obviously not only known them by name, but he would have had a deep quality of relationship with them. In fact, if you look at verse 3, you can kind of see, uh, see that that's alluded to here. So when the sisters sent word that Lazarus was sick, they simply said, Lord, the one you love is sick. They didn't even say his name. Jesus loved Lazarus. He loved his family so much that when Mary and Martha said, the one you love is sick, he knew exactly who they were talking about. All right, so here's what I want you to know before we keep going. Jesus loved this family. He had a deep, unique, relational connection with his family. All right, so let's keep going. Verse 4. So in verse 4, when he heard this, when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that, the son, so that God's son may be glorified through it. So a little teaser alert there. Jesus is like, I'm just going to do a quick foreshadowing of what's to come. This is a bad situation. But it's not going to end bad. It's going to end in God being glorified, and it's not going to end in death. Now, no one can prepare themselves for what's about to happen. So the disciples probably heard that and just thought, huh? I don't know what Jesus is talking about. That happens pretty often, by the way, in the scriptures. Jesus says something, and the disciples are like, huh? And that just happens frequently. We're going to see that a couple times in this passage. Now, I want you to notice verse 5 and 6, because verse 5 and 6 is really crazy. All right? Verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So... When he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Now, now wait a minute. Paul, wait, 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 wait. Hold on a second. So, so when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Why would Jesus stay instead of go to the sick person? Why did he stay where he was for two more days? Well, what we're going to find in this passage as we keep going is the reason that Jesus stayed, the reason that he stayed, was so that Lazarus could die. Jesus waited for Lazarus to die. Now, I want, you to, I want you to get the full weight of what's going on in verse 5 and 6. Notice verse 5 again. Notice, 
It's, it emphasizes us to us once again. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. That is the second time in these short verses that we've seen that we are told that Jesus loved this family and specifically that he loved Lazarus. So we know that. Jesus loved them. And so Mary and Martha and Lazarus, remember, they would have been a big part of Jesus' ministry. So they would have seen Jesus heal people. They would have seen Jesus. They actually were eyewitnesses to Jesus healing a blind man who was blind from birth. They actually saw all of that, right? So Mary and Martha, when they see that Lazarus is sick, they do exactly what you and I would do. They think to themselves, well, Jesus can heal people. Jesus loves Lazarus. So we'll call for Jesus. And because Jesus loves Lazarus, he'll come and he'll heal Lazarus. Because Jesus loves him, he will heal him. Right? And that, by the way, is the way most of us would think. It makes sense. But that's not what we see in verses 5 and 6. Verses 5 and 6 introduce us to a new category of thinking about Jesus that most of us do not have. And I want to show it to you again. So look again at verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He loved them. He loved them. He loved them. He loved them. But then look at this next word. So. So? Nah, that can't be right. When I was reading this, when I was preparing and reading that, I thought to myself, that's not the right word. It's like it needs to be but, right? That's what they meant to say. Jesus loved them, but he waited for Lazarus to die. Jesus loved them, however, he waited for Lazarus to die. So I thought, that can't be right. So you know what I did? I did some digging. Right? I got a bunch of different translations of the Bible. I got them all out. I looked at them, and guess what they all said? So I thought, okay, okay, well, let's get down to the bottom. It's like, I'm going to put on my geek hat, and I'm going to get into the Greek. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a scholar, you know? It's like, I'm going to get into the Greek. So I went down, I got to the Greek, and guess what I found in the Greek? Let me show you, okay? The Greek word for so is that word that I can't pronounce, and this is what it means. It's a conjugation indicating that something follows from another necessarily. So what does that mean? Here's what it means. It means the word so means so. That's what it means. Now think about how crazy this is. Right? A new tension is introduced to us. A huge new tension is introduced to us. And that's this, that Jesus loved them, so he waited till Lazarus died. Jesus cared for them, so because he loved them, he waited for Lazarus to die. He waited for Lazarus to pass away. And all of a sudden, we're introduced to a new thought, and that's this, that there is some pain, that there is some suffering, that there is some illness, that there is some hardship that God allows in your life not in spite of his love for you, but because of his love for you. Once again, like I said, most of us, like Mary and Martha, we have no capacity for that type of understanding. It doesn't make any sense to us. Now, let me just say this. For some of you who are investigating Jesus, for some of us who are in that investigation right now, my guess is that for some of you, this is the very problem you have with Christianity. This is the one. You're like, you know what keeps me from, from believing in Jesus? It's the fact that I cannot reconcile that an all-loving, all-powerful God who claims to, to be the most powerful being in the universe would allow suffering and hardship and pain in the world. How can those two thoughts be compatible? And I'm just going to tell you this much. I wish, I wish I had a one-answer, slick sentence that I could give you that would solve that tension in a heartbeat. But I'll be honest, I don't. I don't, and I don't even really understand how it all works. I don't, I don't claim to know how God works things out, but I can tell you this much for certain that the Bible never ignores that tension exists. In fact, the Bible emphasizes that that tension exists. And you see it in verses like this one. Jesus loved Martha. He loved Mary. He loved Lazarus. So, because of his love, 
He waited. And he let Lazarus die. Crazy. Crazy. Well, it's only getting started. So here's what happens. Jesus has a conversation with his disciples, and they end up talking. They wait for a couple days, and then Lazarus dies. Lazarus finally passes away. And then I want to pick it up again in verse 11. Look at verse 11. It says, he went on to tell them. Jesus was talking to his disciples. As he's talking to his disciples, Jesus said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going to wake him up. Right? So Lazarus has died, and Jesus tells his disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. And by the way, that would have been a diplomatic, nice way of saying that Lazarus died, right? A lot of times when we're dealing with death, it is so painful, it is so hard to bear that we will often not use the word death. We do this, don't we? We're like, did you hear about such that? Yeah, they passed. They passed away. Or they went home. They went home to be with, with Jesus. They went home. They went to heaven. And those are the terms that we use to kind of soften the blow of the reality of death. So Jesus does the same thing. He says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. He says, but I need to go and wake him up. <laughs> Look at verse 12. This is actually kind of comical. His disciples replied, well, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. And then Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. The disciples are just like, Whew. like we did. They like totally missed it. Jesus imagined the diplomacy. He's like, guys, I hate to tell you. I hate to tell you. Lazarus is asleep, guys. He's asleep. And they're like, well, that's probably a good thing, right? He needs some sleep and some Gatorade. That's like totally great, right? <laughs> This happened all the time, by the way, in the New Testament. It's actually really, really funny. There are so many occasions where Jesus says something, and he's either speaking spiritually or he's talking metaphorically, and the disciples are like, huh? And uh, one of those passages would be like in John 5. Some of you might remember that Jesus was talking with a woman. He was ministering to this woman, and her life was transformed as a result of the conversation they had. And the Bible says the disciples were off having lunch somewhere. So they finally came back to Jesus, and they're like, Jesus, did you get some lunch? And Jesus is like, I have food that you know nothing about. And he was talking about the ministry that he was doing, the work of God. And they're like, they just missed it. They're like, uh, did someone bring Jesus Subway or something? Because we missed it. And Jesus is like, oh, you know. So here, I want you to notice, they're like, he's like, he, they, he, you know, Lazarus is asleep. And then they're like, well, he should get some rest, verse 14. So he told them plainly. <laughs> he's like, all right, let me cut the diplomacy. Let me spell it out for you. He just tells them, Lazarus is dead, guys. He's, he's dead. Now, verse 15, this is wild. Look at verse 15. He says, and for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And once again, this week, like I said, I was, as I was preparing, I was thinking about this. Once again, I'm reading that, and I'm like, that can't be the right word. That can't be it. Lazarus is dead, and Jesus is glad. How is that possible? He finds out that Lazarus is dead, and he comes to his disciples, and he says, and I'm glad, guys, for your sake. For your sake, I'm glad that Lazarus is dead. And I'm like, that can't be right. So you know what I did? I got a bunch of translations of the Bible. I opened them up and I looked them up and guess what they all said? Glad. So I went to the Greek, right? And I'm like, I'm going to go back. I'm going to get my scholar hat on again. And I went back to the Greek and I found out what the word glad means in Greek. And here's what it is. Guess what it means? Glad, right? Amazing, profound Bible teaching here at the Medina East Campus, right? <laughs> It means glad. And, and listen, that's insane. Think about the, 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 the strangeness of this situation. Mary and Martha send word to Jesus, Lazarus is sick, and not like has the measles, like dying, right? And Jesus says, I love you, I love you, I love you, so I'm going to wait and let Lazarus pass away. And then he finds out that Lazarus dies, and he goes to his disciples, and his disciples, he's like, guys, Lazarus is dead. And he says, but for your sake, I'm glad Crazy, crazy, crazy. So the Bible goes on, talks about how the disciples have further conversation, and they decide that they're going to go together now to 
where Lazarus is buried. So they go to Bethany, the town of Bethany. The Bible tells us that Lazarus has been dead for four days now. And Jesus, for the first time, is about to interact with the sisters of Lazarus, Martha and Mary. That's where I want to pick it up again. Look at verse 20 with me. Verse 20. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, remember Jesus was coming to see Martha and Mary. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. I don't know why Mary stayed home, but I have a theory. I have a theory that she was probably sulking a little bit. And I think there's some indication here that we're going to see that as well. Verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus. Martha comes out to Jesus. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. I want you to notice the first words that Martha speaks when she sees Jesus. Okay? It's been four days. Lazarus has been dead. The first thing she says to him when she sees him, she says, Lord, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. Now, I don't really know how she said that. The Bible doesn't really tell us how she said it, but sometimes I wonder. I wonder how she actually said those words. I wonder if she said it in an accusatory tone. Lord, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. I wonder if she said it in a despairing tone. Lord, if you'd just been here, why didn't you come? But, but either way, you can hear it in her voice, the hardship, the first thing she says when she sees Jesus, if you were here, this wouldn't have happened. And you know what? I can't criticize her because I can tell you there's a lot of times that I've talked to Jesus like that. Jesus, if you would have been here, you could have done something. I thought you loved us. I thought you cared about us. Why did this happen? And so she says to him, Lord, if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. Watch what Jesus says in verse 25. This is great. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Your brother will rise again. Now, that little phrase, just so you know, that little phrase, your brother will rise again, would have been a phrase that Mary and Martha would have heard repeatedly over the past four days since Lazarus had died. And here's why. Part of the Jewish theology, the Jewish belief system, is that one day there will be a resurrection of the dead. That one day you'll raise from the dead. And when someone dies, we do this today as well. When someone we love passes away, the way we tend to comfort each other is with theology, isn't it? So for those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, who are followers of Christ, when we're at a funeral, what do we do? We remind each other of our theology, don't we? So we go up to each other and we say, man, it's okay, you're going to see him again in heaven. You're going to be reunited in heaven. And it's true. It's true, right? And you're like, you know, it's going to be okay. He's in a better place now. And we say those words to comfort each other, and they do provide a level of comfort. But I can just tell you that when Mary heard Jesus say that, I'm just assuming that it must have been anything but comforting. So look at her response. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection in the last day. She's like, I know, I know, I know. One day, our theology, there will be an event called the resurrection. It's going to happen. I understand it. You see, I can't help but wonder, I'm just guessing, I'm just guessing, that Martha was probably, I'm just guessing on this, Martha was probably somewhat offended by that. Because here's Jesus, right? The first thing she, she when, when Jesus comes, the first thing she says to him when Jesus comes is, man, if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. And then Jesus says, it's okay, he's going to rise from the dead. And she's like, what? That's all you got to tell me? All you have to, you could have healed him, and the only thing you have to offer me are these hallmark platitudes. It'll be better, you'll see him again. Not helpful, not helpful. But, but here's the crazy thing. She has no capacity to understand what Jesus is actually saying. So Jesus clarifies. Look what he says. Jesus said to her, verse 25, this is so powerful. He said, I am, I am the resurrection and the life. And the one who believes in me will live, even though they die. 
and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he asks her, do you believe this? This, by the way, is the claim that we want to look at today, the one we want to really investigate, Jesus in his own words. What did Jesus have to say about himself? Here's what he said. He said, I am, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, I want you to think this through with me again. Let's just review. So Lazarus is sick. Mary and Martha send word to Jesus. They figure, because Jesus loves us, he'll heal heal Lazarus. He can do it. So they send word for Jesus. Jesus says, I love you, 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 so I'm not going to come. I'm going to wait till Lazarus dies. Mind-blowing, right? Lazarus dies. He goes to his disciples. He says, guys, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad. And then he comes back after four days of Lazarus being dead. He sees Martha. He says, Martha, he's going to raise again. And Martha says, I know. One day there's an event called the resurrection, and I'll see him. And Jesus says, no, you don't know what I'm talking about. The resurrection is not an event. He is a person. And he is standing in front of you right now. And he says, and if you believe in me, you will see the glory of God. And and though you might die, you will live forever. And then he asks her, do you believe this? It's actually pretty interesting. Her response, she responds to Jesus and she basically says, yeah, I believe this. But you can tell by her response that she has no compartment in her thinking to actually figure out what Jesus is about to do. There's no way she can prepare herself for the miracle that she's about to see. So anyway, the Bible says that Martha takes Jesus then to go see Mary, the other sister. And I want to pick it up there. Look at verse 32. When Mary reached the place, so he already talked with Martha, now he's talking with Mary. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now hold on, that sounds familiar. I've heard that before. Where did I hear that before? That's right. Just a few verses earlier than this, that was the exact words that Martha said. What does it tell you? It tells you this. It tells you that Mary, Mary and Martha had been talking about this. Right? As a matter of fact, I'm just guessing, but probably for the past four days, I'm guessing their conversation probably went something like this. It probably went something like, man, if Jesus would have just been here, if Jesus would have been here, man, if only, God, if only he had come, then this wouldn't be, ha- I thought he loved us. I thought he loved Lazarus. I thought, and I'm guaranteeing that's the com- how the conversation went for them. So when Mary sees Jesus, the first thing she does, she says the same thing Martha does. If you were here, we wouldn't be in this circumstance. Then I want you to notice something in verse 33. This actually is really telling about the heart of Jesus. Look at verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, when Jesus saw her suffering, when Jesus saw her pain, when Jesus saw the pain that death brings, and when he saw the Jews that had come along with her also weeping, look what the Bible says. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Now, I want you to focus once again on that little word there. Jesus was deeply moved, okay? Now, once again, uh, I, I like getting into the Greek on this one, but this one, the actual translation is different than what it actually says, okay? So deeply moved, literally in the Greek, here's what it means. I don't think that the word deeply moved does justice, not even an ounce of justice to what it's really saying. Here's what it means. It means furious. It means to snort with anger. That's what it means, all right? So imagine an animal angry and snorting, right? Like a bull rearing and ready to charge and snorting. And the Bible says, Jesus, in the face of human suffering, Jesus, in the midst of seeing people weep because of the pain of death, that his reaction is that he is furious. Listen, Jesus is livid with the pain of the death causes, with the suffering of humans. And like I said earlier, you know, there's some pain, there's some suffering, there's some illness that God allows for his glory and belief. 
But I can tell you this, that his emotion towards it all is that he is furious, furious with human suffering. So verse 33, Jesus is furious. Verse 34, he says, and you've got to just imagine, because at this point, Jesus is mad. So he says, where have you laid him? It's like, where is he? He's mad now. You don't want Jesus mad. He's mad now. It's like, where have they put him? And then it says, um, verse 34, come, they said, and, and you'll see, they replied. And then verse 35, man, what a range of emotions in this passage. It says, Jesus wept. There it is. The, the shortest verse in the entire Bible, two words, Jesus wept. And all of a sudden, we get this crazy picture that the one the Bible says will one day wipe away every tear is himself weeping. In the face of suffering, in the face of death, Jesus is furious, and Jesus is anguished. And now he's weeping in the midst of it too. And then check this out, verse 36. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him? They're like, he loved him. Look at how he's crying. How Jesus loved Lazarus. But look at verse 37. But some of them said, could, he, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? See, there it is again. There's the tension. They're like, we can't justify it in our mind. He loved him. Why didn't he heal him? I thought he, I thought he loved him, so why didn't he heal him? And they have no compartment in their thinking for anything else but those two thoughts. And like many of us also have about Jesus. And check this out. Verse 35. Jesus once again moved deeply, deeply moved, which again, we know what that means, furious, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. Now remember, he's angry, so I'm trying to figure out how he said this, probably something like this. Get that stone out of here. Get it gone, right? Then look at this. This is kind of funny. Martha starts pleading with Jesus in verse 39, but Lord, Martha said, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor. He's been in there for four days. She's like, don't do that. It stinks in there. That's what she said, right? I actually really like the way that the King James puts it. Some of you have the old King James Bible. It says, he stinketh. Isn't that great? Stinketh. Here's my challenge to you today at Easter dinner. My challenge is you to somehow work in the word stinketh, okay? And whoever, whoever does it the most creatively, hashtag MEC on it and send it to us. And whoever, I'll give you something for free. I don't know what it is yet. A Bible probably. So, yeah, right. so um, stinketh. Try to work it into Easter dinner, right? Like, Uncle Jimmy, you stinketh, right? Which, if you have an Uncle Jimmy, that's probably pretty funny. And if you, if you are an Uncle Jimmy, that's probably not funny, right? Stinketh. It's a great thing. So uh, Jesus is like, get that stone out of here. And they're like, no, 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 he's going to stink. And look at what Jesus says. This is awesome. Jesus said, uh, verse 40, then Jesus said, did I not tell you that, that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? He said, listen, I already told you. You didn't understand what I was saying. If you believe, I am the resurrection of life. I'm not talking about some future event. I'm talking about right here, right now. And then Jesus gets to work, verse 41. So they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and said, and I just want you to get this picture in your mind. They roll away the stone. Jesus is standing at the foot of the, of the, of the cave there where the tomb is. And he raises his hands up to heaven and he stands there. And out loud he prays. And the Bible records his prayer. Here's what he says. Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. So what a crazy prayer. Jesus is like, get that stone out of here. He's livid. He's furious. He's anguished over human suffering. So he's get that stone out of here. And they do. And he stands there. He says, let me pray real quick. So like everyone gather around. It's like, God, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. And he says, but I'm praying this right now out loud for everyone else's benefit, for everyone else's sake, 
that they might believe. I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but everything you see Jesus doing in this passage is towards two goals. And the two goals are that God might be glorified and that those around might believe. Wait, wait, wait. You mean to tell me that God is willing to go to that extent that we might believe? You mean to tell me that God cares that much about belief? Well, maybe. Maybe. So look what happens. He prays that crazy prayer. And then he says this, verse 43. This is awesome. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice. Man, I would have loved to have been here for this, by the way. This is like one of those top 10 moments I wish I could have been there for in the Bible. This is like got to be in there as one of the top 10. Jesus said, he stood up in a loud voice. He said, Lazarus, come out. So this has got to be crazy, right? Then verse 44, the dead man came out. He actually listened, right? And it says his hands and his feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. So this is like mummy. You're like walking out. This is like something from the living dead, right? This is crazy. You kind of see this whole thing happen. Lazarus actually comes out, and then Jesus sees him, and he says, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Man, this must have been one of the most climactic scenes ever experienced in the Bible. I wish I could have been there. I'll tell you how I imagine it. I just imagine Jesus furious. He's livid at the death situation. Everyone's crying and weeping. And he's like, you guys believe this? Like, we believe it. Get the stone out of here. And they get the stone. He lifts up his hands. He's like, God, I'm doing this for everyone else's sake that they might believe. And I'm so glad you heard me. And then he's like, Lazarus, get out of here. Lazarus comes out, and I imagine everyone is just going crazy. Right? I imagine the disciples are like, no, you know. And for some reason, I imagine Jesus is just standing there like this, just like, yeah, you know? James is doing the robot. You know? Peter's break dancing because he's always overdoing it. I imagine Lazarus is doing the thriller dance, you know? That's why I'm just like, this had to have been awesome. And the Bible never tells us, and I, I kind of wish it did, but the Bible never tells us the celebration that ensued after this happened. But can you imagine? Can you imagine the joy the excitement, can you, imagine the, can you imagine that worship session? Man, that would have been something I would have been part of. And I guarantee the joy and the excitement and the thankfulness and, and the glory of that moment far overshadowed all of the pain, all of the confusion, all the confusion, all the suffering that these women had to go through for the past four days. All of it was erased. And listen, you and I know this. We know that this is just a foretaste This is just a foreshadowing of the greater work that Jesus does not too long after this passage. The Bible says not too long after this passage, Jesus is arrested, he's beaten, he's mocked, he's crucified. Jesus dies for the sins of humanity, but three days later, he raises from the dead. And that's what we celebrate today. Not that the resurrection is an event, but that the resurrection is a person, that his name is Jesus. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And that's Jesus in his own words. Now, now, I know some of you are thinking, ah, oh, it's a neat story. It's pretty neat. But, but what does that mean about Jesus, and what does that mean for me? What does that mean? Well, let me just give you a few things. Let's give you three implications, all right? And there's plenty more than this. But let me give you three implications. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. So what does that mean? Well, here's the first implication. The first implication is this, that because Jesus is a resurrection and the life, that means that Jesus is not simply a comfort to human suffering. He's a solution to human suffering. All right? there, there is this strange theory out there, a strange opinion about Jesus that many people have that says that Jesus is really a comfort to people who are going through a hard time. That's really what he is. There are many people who would say, and you probably heard this, Jesus is just a crutch for people who are emotionally weak. 
And anyone who needs Jesus, that's a fine thing if they need him, to help them get through the hard times, to help them get through sickness, to help them in times of death, to give them hopes in, in those seasons. Listen, that is not the case. If Jesus himself is the resurrection and the life, that means that he is not a comfort. He's not chicken soup to the soul in times of hardship. He is the solution to human suffering. And so you need to understand something, that the Bible tells us that God doesn't protect us from suffering. He doesn't protect us from death. That's not his goal. Jesus' goal is not protection. Jesus' goal is destruction. He is furious with death. He is agonized by human suffering, and he's motivated in that not to protect us from it, but to destroy it. And so Jesus leads Mary and Martha into this place of pain only so he can come in and be a conqueror over it. Jesus doesn't want to protect us from pain. Jesus actually wants to cause us to be victors over the pain and suffering that we've been caused. So the first thing is this. Jesus is not simply a comfort to human suffering. He is the solution. As a matter of fact, there's a passage uh, in the Bible in 1 Corinthians where it says that death is, because Jesus is the resurrection, death is a defeated enemy. And so the Bible says in one passage, Jesus looks at death and he says, where, O oh, death, is your sting? Where, O oh, death, is your victory? See, where most of us cower in fear at death, Jesus taunts death. Jesus looks at death and he says, nana, nana, boo, boo. Stick your head in poo-poo. That's what Jesus does. Because, look, where you and I, where you and I, we cower at death, Jesus conquered death. He didn't come to protect us from it. He came to destroy it, take us all the way down into it. So that's the first implication. Here's the second thing. Second thing, God isn't doing something to you. He's doing something in you so that he can work through you. Okay? If Jesus is the resurrection in life, that means that God is not doing something to you. And my guess is for many of you, when you look at your pain, when you look at your suffering, when you look at the hardship, you tend to look at God and say, no, that's you. Why are you doing this to me? Like Mary and Martha, if you would have just been here, you, I thought you loved us. Why would you make us endure this? Why would you? Some of us have this perception of God that he's a cosmic bully in the sky just this oversized kid with a magnifying glass who just takes joy in torturing us. Right? But what this passage tells us is that's not the case. That the resurrection tells us that death does not have the final word, that suffering does not have the final word, that pain does not have the final word. Jesus has the final word because he is the resurrection and he is the life. And so it means a couple things. It means that he's not simply a comfort to human suffering. Jesus is a solution. It means that God isn't doing something to you He's doing something in you. He's trying to generate belief in you so that he can work through you. And then lastly, and I think the more powerful thing is this, with Jesus, because he's the resurrection of life, nothing is over. And I mean nothing. Nothing is over. You might be in a mess right now. Nothing is over. Because you're dealing with the resurrection, not an event, but a person. He is the resurrection, and he is the life. See, a lot of people think that God's greatest miracle, they're like, God's greatest miracle is creation. How, how could God create something out of nothing? That's so incredible. Theologians call that ex nihilo, God creating something out of nothing. And a lot of people look around and say, look at the universe, look at the mountains, look at the, how could God create all this out of nothing? That's, the, that's his most magnificent work. But you know what? I disagree, respectfully. I think that God's most magnificent work isn't building something out of nothing. I think it's building life out of death. I think it's taking disasters and making them into victories. I think it's taking messes and making them into miracles. 
For those of you guys who are builders, you know this. Would you rather build something from scratch or would you, rather, would you rather take a burnt down building and work with that and rebuild it? Jesus takes dead things and he rebuilds them into life. That's the way that he works. And the Bible says that the power of the resurrection for those of us who believe is alive inside of us. And that means this, that there are dead things inside of you that are pronounced dead that the power of the resurrection will breathe new life into and it means nothing is over. Listen, for some of you today, this morning, your faith is pronounced dead. Your faith is dead. You're like, you know what? There was a time, a long time. This is my first time in church in like the longest time. There was a time, a long time ago, I used to believe. I used to, I used to believe. I used to have a strong faith. And then something happened. I went to college. You know, college is crazy. And then after that, like, I, I, I don't know what happened. My, my, my faith is shipwrecked and I can't get it back. It's pronounced dead. But listen to me. You're dealing with the resurrection. Nothing is over. Nothing is over. Some of you, you have addictions right now. There's stuff that you wish that you, you could get rid of and you can't. It's got you. And these addictions, and for some of you, they're secret addictions. No one knows. For some of you, you actually came in here this morning hungover from last night. Look, and if that's the case, let me, let me just say this to you real fast. I would rather have you drunk in church than sober out of church. Just say that. And some of you are like, challenge accepted. It's not what I'm saying. All right? So don't. Don't do, you know what I mean, all right? So what I am saying is this, if you're waiting to clean up before you come to Jesus, that's the dumbest thing you could ever do because Jesus has the power of the resurrection. He wants to take your mess and make it into a miracle. He likes to take dead things and make them alive. You know why? Because that's what he does. That's his MO. He's the resurrection and the life. And if you think you can get through this thing on your own, man, you can't. But Jesus, the power of Jesus can come in. It means nothing, nothing, nothing is over. For some of you this morning, your marriage, and in your mind, your marriage is pronounced dead. It's cold, it's lifeless, it's flatlined. And maybe there is a time, there's a time there was romance and vibrancy and excitement, and it's just gone now. And you're like, there's no hope, there's no hope. But listen, you don't know him because he is the resurrection. The resurrection isn't an event, the resurrection is a person. And when you believe and invite him into your life, you will see the power of Jesus taking dead things and bringing them back to life. That's what the Bible says, that the power that works in Jesus to raise him from the dead is so powerfully at work within us. Jesus is the resurrection. And he said it in his own words. I am the resurrection and I am the life. And let me just close real quick and then we'll be done with, I want to give three challenges this morning to three audiences and then we're finished. Okay, so audience number one, for those of us who believe in Jesus, okay, so for those of us who are Christ followers, and I know that's not everyone in the room, but that's probably a good amount of us in the room. For those of us who believe in Jesus, I want you to, as we worship and sing and pray, there's two things I want you to do. I want you to ask this question in your mind. Where does the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ intersect with the dead things in my life? Because the resurrection is not some future event that's coming, and it is, but it's more than that. It's a person who's working inside of you, and he wants to take the dead things in you and he wants to bring them back to life. Would you confess those things to God? Would you confess it to him and ask him to bring the power of his resurrection into your heart? And then for those of us who follow Jesus, as we sing and worship, man, why don't we just celebrate? Because this is the centerpiece of our salvation. This is everything for those of us who follow Christ. Okay, so challenge number one to audience number one. Here's my second challenge to audience number two. If you're a person that's investigating Jesus, you're not sure what you think about the whole thing, like I said, maybe it's your first time out here, you're not a church person or whatever. And as we've been talking, 
there's something in your heart and you can't really explain it. You're like, but there's something in me that knows that this is right. I just know it. I don't know why, but as you were going through this and we were talking about Jesus, I, just, I was struck with the, with, with the understanding that Jesus is much more than I thought he was. And if that's the case, for some of you this morning, for the first time ever, for the first time ever, you need to say yes to Jesus and believe in him. I would ask you, if you're that person, I would ask you the same question that Jesus asked Martha. Look at it again. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And I ask you, do you believe this? For some of you, for the first time ever, you need to say, I do. I believe it. I believe this. And I want to say yes to Jesus and begin following him. If that's you, make today a stake in the ground moment. Make today a, I, I'm not running anymore. I'm done, I'm done doing this whole thing. I'm a mess. I need Jesus. And here be my recommendation to you. As we're worshiping and we're singing, I'm going to challenge you to pray to God your heart to his heart. For some of you, this might be the first time you've ever actually prayed. For some of you, this might be the first time you prayed in a really, really long time. But I challenge you to pray to God, your heart to his heart. And simply, there's not a magic formula or anything. You don't have to do anything crazy or sacrifice a cat or whatever. But it's just really confessing your heart to God and say this to him, all right? Say, God, I'm a mess. I made a mess of things. I stinketh, you know? I, I need your power in my life to transform me. And just tell him that. Say, God, I believe. I'm done running. I'm done justifying. I'm, done, I'm, I'm putting a stake in the ground. I'm following you. For some of you, you need to do that this morning. And if you decide to do that, I want to challenge you with something else. I challenge you to take that connection card that we gave you. And if you said yes to Jesus this morning for the first time, would you check the box that says you accepted Christ? And here's why I'm asking you to do that. Because we want to help you. We want to partner with you to give you next steps how to grow spiritually. All right? So that's my recommendation to you. Audience number three, challenge number three. For those of you who are kind of like, you know, investigating Jesus, but you're not sure what you believe about the whole thing, and maybe at the end of this talk, you're still like, you know what, I don't buy it, man. I still don't buy it. I have a lot of questions. I have a lot of concerns. For some of you, maybe you have a lot of animosity. Maybe you had some bad experiences with churches and Christians and the whole Jesus thing in the past, and you're like, I'm just not there. I'm not there. Okay, well, I got a challenge for you. First off, let me just say, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful you even came today. It's awesome. Glad you're here. But here's my challenge to you. I just, I'm going to double dog dare you, all right? No, yet I'm going to triple dog dare you. That's right, I upped the ante there. You see what I did? So I'm going to triple dog dare you. Here's, here's, my, here's my dare to you, okay? I dare you for the next seven weeks as we go through this series to just come to church. That's it. Just come. You can sneak in if you want to and sneak out. We don't even know you're here. That's all right with me. For the, for the next seven weeks, just come in, all right, and be part of this investigation. You don't have to agree with us. You don't, have to, you don't have to believe what we believe. I'm just asking that you would give it seven more weeks to investigate Jesus. And if at the end of those seven weeks, the next two months, if you're like, you know what, don't buy it, it's a bunch of baloney, fine, don't come back to church, all right? You got nothing to lose. A triple dog dare you to do it. And if you do that, then you know, maybe I'll give you something free, like a Bible or something. <laughs> no, okay. all right. But seriously, I, take you, I, I challenge you to take us up on that as well. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He said, anyone who believes in me, though they die, will live again. Do you believe this is what he said? That's Jesus in his own words. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful this morning that um, well, just in the incredible joy that we get to celebrate that you are not just, an, not just a, a good teacher, that you're not just, you know, 
some moral therapeutic chicken soup for the soul guy, but you're, you're actually the resurrection himself, that you are the force of life that brings life to dead things. Father, it's a crazy claim. No one says that about themselves. And so either you were crazy, out of your mind, lunatic, or you're actually God, you're actually the Lord. And so I pray, Jesus, that you would work in our hearts even today, God. And as we celebrate the resurrection, as we enjoy our families and our friends today, I pray that it would be ever-present on our mind the things that you've done for us. God, you, you master at taking dead things and bringing them to life. I know there's dead things in this room, but I know that many of us have dead things, or addictions, marriages, faith. But God, I pray that we wouldn't, we wouldn't push away from you, but instead we'd lean into you to find the power of the resurrection that you bring to bear in those circumstances. Raise us from the dead. God, I know that for many of us, we have no way to comprehend how a loving God, powerful God, would allow suffering and hardship in the world. We don't have the bandwidth to understand it. Yet, Jesus, I see you as a loving Father who knows better than we do, who knows greater than we do. Lord, there is no pain that we face, there is no suffering that we face that is in vain. There is no frivolous hurt. You redeem all of it. And I pray, God, that you would redeem the hurts and the pains in this room today through the power of your resurrection. God, we celebrate it because it's our hope. It's the only hope we have in this life. And we celebrate it this morning. In Jesus' name.